I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days, you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to PrettyLitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The first kind of question I wanted to talk about, the one I I wrote up was... Uh, just generally about your education, because I think I know the history of it, but it's 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 that thing where it's like I'm not 100% sure. I've never properly asked you outright. It's usually just been mum saying something, or it's been mentioned in conversation. Um, yeah, because it's it's kind of taken you everywhere, sort of a little bit, hasn't it? Yeah. So so I sort of went to a comprehensive school in Whitley Bay, and then I went to university. So I did three years of preclinical, so it was the old-fashioned course. So you do three years pre preclinical, which is pure science. Mm. And so we had physiology, anatomy, and biochemistry in the first year with all the 
scientists. So we did three years of that in the preclinical, and then you went did your clinical, which was basically you know four months medicine, four months surgery. And in the second year, you did lots of specialties. Then the final year, it was four months medicine, four months surgery, and four months elective. For my elective, I went to, and spent uh, a few months in an A&E department in Auckland. Oh, wow. Okay. You were encouraged to go abroad for to broaden your horizons. So I went to New Zealand and I said, just spent four months in an A&E department learning how to deal with uh, medicine in New Zealand. And it was slightly different in that slightly more accidents, a bit more violent. Uh, so it was, it was a completely different way of doing things. And then I was a house officer in Newcastle and as a house officer in Oxford. And I went back to Newcastle. And after Newcastle, I went to, well, we went to Nottingham, stayed in Nottingham for about a year and a half, then went up to Aberdeen, stayed there for 20 odd years. And now we've moved to Liverpool. So yeah, it's a lot of travel. Just been all about the place, really. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what used to happen, but people don't do that so much now. Well, that was actually going to be my next question. Oh, yeah, the next question was going to ask about the the kind of... The, I, I don't know if career progression is the right word. I don't know if that's the right phrase yeah. for it, but it's the sort of progression um, of being a doctor. Because um, I vaguely remember you saying it's different now to how it was when you started. It used to be very much you got did an apprenticeship, so you were trained to become a doctor and you then trained to become a consultant. And because jobs were tighter, there, were, there was far fewer jobs in the 80s than there are now. So in order to get jobs, you used to have to move around in order to get the best jobs, which is what I've done. Nowadays, uh, there's far more jobs available, so people tend not to move. So it's fairly easy to qualify from a medical school and then just go get a job and just stay in one place and end up in a as a consultant in that one place. But the old-fashioned way of doing it, of moving around a lot, meant you picked up all the best things from all the places you worked and you realized all the worst things. So mm. and what it meant by the time I went to sort of Aberdeen as a senior registrar, I'd already picked up all the best bits of Oxford, the best bits of uh, Newcastle, the best bits of Nottingham. And it meant that when I got to... Aberdeen I then picked up the best bits of Aberdeen so when I was a consultant in Aberdeen I was experienced and took a lot of new things to Aberdeen that's how it used to be mm. used to pick up all the best things yeah, but it was yeah. out of necessity because there's far fewer jobs mm. okay. and it was very difficult to get consultant posts in the 80s especially respiratory medicine posts mm. you were uh you're in the mindset that you could do anything you're in the mindset that you're willing to do all sorts of things i mean when i was putting you know when i was a medical student i put a chest drain in Mm. whereas nowadays that's only done by registrars and consultants Uh, okay Uh, so when i was a senior house officer i was putting pacing wires in whereas nowadays that's again a senior consultant's job so Mm. i was doing things as a medical student which would now be done by registrars and consultants. It was just that it was expected you would do it because there were so few staff that you were expected to do all of the things. And you got very good and very confident at doing things. And because you did loads of things which you'd never seen before, but you knew sort of how to do it, you just took it on and you're very skilled. You, you know, I could put a needle into virtually anything I wanted. You know, <laughs> 
So I put you know lumbar punctures, you know putting stuff into hearts, putting stuff into livers, you know I you, you got very very confident, so we got very good <laughs> and very competent at doing things, and nowadays nobody would even think of uh, allowing any of these, and they would say, oh I've not been shown how to do it, I've not been trained how to do it, well mm. we just gave it a go, we just did it. Is, is, do you think that's down to a change in education or in training or, or is it something else? I was trained to become a consultant, whereas nowadays uh, people are educated to become specialists. There is a very subtle difference. Okay. Uh, so training is like we were trained like an apprenticeship. So we just did right. everything. Yeah. So anything that was thrown at us, we just did. When as a house officer... I wasn't very good as a doctor. My whole role in life was to be the gophers. I did all the blood tests. I did all the ECGs. I took all the blood gases. I did all the ECG, you know, arranged all the investigations. I administered all the intravenous drugs. Nowadays, the house officers, there's phlebotomists to do the bloods, the ECG technicians do ECGs. There's respiratory physiologists to do the blood, blood gases. There's ward clerks and things to do the order and the investigations. So there, so. I was bottom of the pile, but my job was a gopher, and I got very good at doing lots of practical procedures. I got very good at dealing with people. I got very good at recognizing sick patients. And I learned how to diagnose later on as I got more skilled. Whereas nowadays, we get junior doctors who come out expecting to be able to diagnose everything, but in fact, they know don't know how to diagnose anything. But because they don't have that gopher role, they're sort of missing a role in life. Whereas I used to do 120 hours a week as a gopher and it was great fun. I had a whale of a time. And then because you've done a good job, you got a good reference, which meant you go into another good job and it worked like that. Whereas nowadays, they're all just appointed to any old post. They're, they're missing out on a lot of uh, the fun that we used to have. It used to be great fun. You're part of a team. The team spirit was fantastic. You were led by a consultant and you had a whale of a time, whereas nowadays they've fragmented the teams. It's not a consultant-led service, it's consultant-delivered. So when I was a junior doctor, I was taking the bloods, doing all the investigations, seeing the patients. And what do I do nowadays? I see all the patients, take all the history examinations. So I'm essentially doing the same job I did, started uh, when 1988. So I'm doing the same job I was doing uh, 32 years ago. So wow. not much has changed. So things have probably got worse rather than better. So although the resources are more, more investigations, far more staff, the quality of the job has deteriorated. It's not as much fun. There's no mm. team. You used to, you know, the nurse. You worked very closely with the nurses. You were worked with as a very tight team. It's gone completely. As mm. a consequence, the patients suffer because there's no continuity of care. Okay. So it'd be the same doctor seeing them every day in the hospital. So you'd you'd see the patient when they came in. You take the take the history, do all the investigations, and then look after them every day. Mm. So you got to know them very well. They got to know you very well, and they would get better quickly. Whereas now you come in, you're seen by one person, who then you then get shunted onto somebody else, and then you get shunted onto another ward, and you get a different consultant and a different team looking after you every day. There's no continuity of care. And when you take on a new person, you're going to be more defensive. So people stay in mm. hospital longer. They get more investigations. When you do more investigations, you have this phenomenon called vomit, which is known as a victim of modern imaging technique, which means that the more tests you do, 
the more likely you are to find a spurious result. Mm. So you basically do lots and lots of imaging, lots of tests, lots of spurious results. So you get lots of vomit and they end up being over-investigated for all sorts of weird and wonderful things which are irrelevant to why they came in. So patient care is not streamlined. It's not as personal. There's no continuity. There's nobody in charge. It's not as good, quite frankly. Again, that, so you can uh, either be looked after by a house officer who is dead tired after doing 120 hours. It was actually very good and very competent and very nice. Or nowadays you get looked after by somebody who's wide awake. He's very nice at telling you what they don't know is wrong with them, but they'll order lots of investigations. So it's, yeah, I think right. it used to be better in some ways. It might be better now in some other ways. There's, there's lots of discussions about doctors being overworked. When I started my job... In 1980, I was doing 120 hours a week. So that meant being on the ward from eight till six every day, okay. looking after 30 patients. And then one night in three, you're on call. So you're on call from six till eight the next morning. And then at weekends, you did from the Friday morning to the Monday evening on call. So I was doing 120 hours a week. Whereas nowadays they do their 37 hours a week, maybe doing, you know, maybe 40, 45 hours a week, but they do it in shifts. So they do a block of maybe, you know, eight hours here. So the benefits are they don't do as many hours, but the, the, the problem with that is they don't have the continuity. So they're not looking after the same group of people every day. So mm. I might have been doing 120 hours, but I was looking after the same group of people for the whole week. Yeah. Uh, so I knew the patient. So if I got phoned during the middle of the night and they said, Mrs. So-and-so is ill, I knew exactly who Mrs. So-and-so was. And I would say, well, let's do this. And then I would go back to sleep. And usually you were correct. Whereas nowadays they're doing shifts. So they're up overnight. They get called to see somebody. Uh, they have never seen this person before. So they have to sit down and work out what Mrs. Smith came in with. And then they have to sit down and then try and work out what's wrong with Mrs. Smith. So it's very frightening for them. The other problem is I used to be looking after maybe 30 patients. Nowadays, they're looking after maybe 100 patients for eight hours. Uh, so I would rather do the 120 hours looking after a small number of patients who I knew than doing 40 hours looking after patients who I have no ideas going on with them. I mean, nobody does from you know Friday morning till Monday evening with no sleep anymore. Mm. So, I mean, but, but I mean, the really interesting thing is a consultant, you can be on call nowadays. When I was in Aberdeen, I'd be a consultant on call from uh, nine o'clock on a Monday morning till nine o'clock the next Monday morning. And I could be up all night looking after a patient. If I was a junior doctor, I wouldn't be allowed to work the next day because it'd be dangerous because I was tired. However, because I was a consultant, I was expected to work the next day. So the oldest, so, you know, this was happening, this happens nowadays. So you get consultants who have to get called in to look after patients and they have to work the next day. Whereas if you're a junior doctor, you wouldn't be allowed to do that because it's dangerous to do that sort of thing. Right. When you have to do, 100, <laughs> when you have to do 120 hours without sleep and you mm. start hallucinating, it got so bad. I remember in Oxford going, doing a one round, ward round one morning. We, we'd, I'd been up, so it was a Sunday morning. So I'd been up since Friday morning and we went to see this patient on a ward and we're going, uh, I can't remember this patient. So we looked in the notes and I found out we'd actually operated on him during the night, but nobody could remember him. So, you know, we were just so tired. Was everybody just so tired they couldn't remember this, 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 this patient's 
yeah. name or what happened. Well, we couldn't even remember seeing. We couldn't even remember the operation we'd done on him. I would argue that's bad. <laughs> yeah, but you know, <laughs> the thing is, you actually get very good at coping with being very tired. Okay. So, so you actually, you know, then military do this. They they train you to be tired and mm. to make decisions when you're tired. So we knew no different. So we were trained to work when we were tired. Yeah. Uh, so we could make decisions when we were tired. And we made very good decisions when we were tired. When you are trained to work when you're tired, when you spend all your life being tired and working when you're tired, it just becomes a way of life and you get very good at it. <laughs> COVID was good fun. I'll Phrase it as a formal question, just because I did write it down. The worst thing happened to me, I think about two or three weeks ago, I put a grant application in to a grant funding body and they rejected it in 30 minutes. So that wasn't fun. Oh, man. Okay. I mean, that's not quite as you know traumatic as, as the other stuff. No, I suppose but, not. Um, yeah. We're recording this um, in September 2020 and we're kind of... In in the midst of a rise in cases of COVID nineteen, and obviously you uh, you specialize in respiratory medicine, so I wanted to ask how has the pandemic, how has the pandemic been for you? Like, has it changed the focus of your work, or or is it taken away from it? Or well, all the research I was doing has basically been shut down by COVID, so that was fairly clear in mid March that all the research was mm. going to be stopped by COVID. So as a respiratory physician who does work at Aintree, I, I volunteered to man the COVID ward. So I went onto the COVID ward on the first day wearing a face mask, a glove and a pinny and promptly caught COVID from a patient and was a bit <laughs> sick for a couple of weeks. I don't remember anything about it because apparently I was delirious. I was delirious for a week, so I couldn't remember oh, anything. Goodness. I was confused. Anyway, I went back to work and it was great. I mean, it was good fun because, you know, the ward was full. We used barely, hardly any investigations. So... I was trained to make a diagnosis based on a history, examination, one or two blood tests and a chest X-ray. And when you've got people with COVID, you make the diagnosis based on a history, an examination, a chest X-ray and one or two blood tests. My trainee had trained me to look after a lot of patients, work out what was wrong with them really quickly and not to rely on investigations. So it was great because I was just ideally suited to that sort of an environment. Mm -hmm. uh, the other really good thing was that... You know, the nurses, everybody was pulling together. The pattern of working in the hospital changed. So instead of having a different junior every day, we suddenly had a team. So mm -hmm. I had a team of people working with me. So I had myself. I then had a registrar who was the same registrar every day. I then had the same junior doctors every day instead of having different doctors every day. So I suddenly had a team. And as a team, we sort of we got back to the old way of working as a team. The, you know, the junior doctors got to know the consultants. There was continuity of care because we were seeing the same patients every day. The nurses, we were working together. So it was very much like what it used to be. Team working, very busy, minimal investigations, lots of decisions. Mm -hmm. uh, you having to be very confident in your decisions. And it was it was like, you know, it was I was back to my, the environment to which I was trained and having to make decisions you know risky decisions mm. having you know basically flying by the seat of your pants which is what i was doing 32 years ago and that was exactly what i was being employed to do during covid so apart from 
nearly being wiped out by COVID. Once I'd survived, I was able to go back on the ward, not worried about catching it. And, you know, you're able to look after the juniors, able to look after the nurses. So the nurses said I was very much of the old school. And it was great. So, and, you know, had an absolute whale of a time, totally enjoyed it. (laughs) Then you're the only person who's enjoying. COVID is a miserable disease. Yeah. It's not a pleasant disease if you get it badly. So, you know, there was lots of really, really sick patients, but we were able to work out what COVID, you know, because I took over the first week of COVID. So we learned very quickly what COVID was like. Mm. And once we'd worked out and recalibrated ourselves, we all sort of worked together. So I think virtually all the consultants who'd worked on the wards, looking after COVID patients, enjoyed it. It was a miserable disease to look after. But we're able to save a lot of lives by doing very simple things. It's not nice to have it. I mean, from personal experience, it's not nice to have. But, you know, as a, some way to look at when you're looking after people, it's good. It's good. It's enjoyable. Because, yeah. yes, I sort of imagine, imagine that's that's kind of, if if not the best thing, certainly one of the positives of, of, well, of the job is that you get to help people. You work and- with, you know, the best thing about medicine is the patient's and the people you work with. And suddenly we were back to the model of teams working together, looking after the same patients every day. So it was back to that model. So we started mm. to, you know, the enjoyment came from seeing a patient come in, a bit unwell, get terribly unwell, and get better and go home. So we had that continuity of care. So yeah. I looked at, you know, I was on the ward for like eight weeks. So we were seeing people coming in, getting really ill, going home. So there was that continuity of care. So yeah. we were starting to enjoy the patients. We were getting fulfillment from the patients. Hmm. The juniors were part of a team. They got to know the consultants, the registrars really well. They got to know the patients really well. They got to know the nurses really well. We worked really, really, really hard, but yeah. we enjoyed it. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Before we get into the episode today, I want to give a quick shout out to Twin Strangers Productions and their sci-fi horror adventure audio drama, Syntax, the fourth season of which is coming soon. Syntax is a fantastic show that smashes together science fiction, cryptids, speculative biology, and my personal favourite, linguistics. It follows the story of Silas as he works to translate an ancient text hoping to find clues that will help his team of six understand the mystery of the breaches. If you enjoy Annihilation, as in the, the book, not the concept in general, or the Stargate TV series, I think you'll really love this story. Season 4 of Syntax is releasing in April 2024, making it the perfect time to start listening. Syntax is streaming now on all major podcast platforms. Visit syntaxpodcast.com, that's syntaxpodcast, all one word, for more information. Know the depths. Wish for more. <laughs> 